by the Holy Spirit into the image of Christ, live fruitful lives. And we'll see that there consists in the lives of Christians the fruit of thankfulness, the fruit of assurance, and the fruit of influence. And you'll note that that follows question and answer 86, or particularly the answer 86, the fruit of thankfulness, the fruit of assurance, and the fruit of influence. So the first thing we'll consider then is the first part of the answer, the fruit of thankfulness. We must do good works. The catechism teaches us. And that means the Bible teaches this. So where does the Bible teach that there must be good works in the life of a Christian? Well, think about our reading, first of all. Romans 6. In verse 17, we read, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Obedient from the heart. And that implies obedient to the law of thankfulness. We also read in verse 22, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and in its end, eternal life. Now here the word sanctification means the the process in which we are becoming holy, in which we are becoming obedient to the will of God. Consider also what we read in Revelation 21. And Revelation 21 kind of follows our catechism here in that regard. In the first part of this chapter, we read those well-known words about John describing the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And then the words from Jesus that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and to the thirsty, that is the faithful, the believers, he will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And then we read this. But as for the cowardly, so you could see the second answer here, answer 87, kind of following what is, what is written prior. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So the implication here is that the faithful, that is those who conquer, those who are victorious in Jesus Christ, aren't living those kind of lives. They're living lives of faithfulness and obedience. So that's the the line that our catechism is following, that scriptural line, both the positive aspect of living holy and obedient lives, 
That's the life of the faithful. That's the fruit you see in the faithful, as well as the negative, the kind of negative fruits you see in the unfaithful. So the Bible, just these two examples I've given you from Romans 6 and Revelation 21, clearly teaches that those who are saved, those who have come to faith and are empowered by the Spirit, must do good works. Meanwhile, those who head for death are inclined to do evil works. Now the Scripture, as we have, and you have considered that in the second part of the Catechism, has taught that we are saved by faith only, apart from works. So for example, in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, we read, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we read this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the Scriptures clearly state that salvation does not depend on works. Nothing which we do merits our salvation. Rather, the works of the law bring wrath. Good works do not count for our justification. We don't base our salvation on good works. We can't do a single work that is not defiled by our flesh and does not deserve punishment. So that's, that's the line of Scripture. Good works are not able to help us enter the kingdom of heaven, but in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, we confess in Lord's Day 32, we must do good works. It sounds perfectly contradictory, but it isn't. The Catechism teaches us that Jesus Christ, upon salvation, is renewing us by the Holy Spirit to be his image. That's the beginning of the answer. Jesus Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit to be his image. You could say, and and take for example, the sacrament of holy baptism. Baptism signifies the washing of Christ, but two washings. There's the washing of the blood of Christ, that's our forgiveness of sins, that's our justification through faith, but it also represents the washing of the Spirit of Christ. You can read that in Lord's Day 26. The washing of the blood of Christ and the washing of the Spirit of Christ. The two go together. By faith alone in Christ, only through his merits and grace are we saved. And yet, when we by true faith are saved through God's electing grace, Christ will renew us and change us. He will sanctify us. He will make us holy. In other words, 
faith in Christ bears fruits of thankfulness. Thus, good works are directly connected to our redemption. The highest goal of our redemption, in fact. That's right. Doing good works is the highest goal of our redemption. God redeems us so that we can do good works. Try to fathom this, brothers and sisters. Why God saves us. Why God sent his son to this world. He didn't redeem us because we do good works, but he redeems us so that we can do good works. In order that we do good works. For no other greater reason are we saved. Think about the beginning of creation, the seven days of creation. Consider the purpose that God created this world and he created us. What was it? It was to serve God. It was to perform lives of holiness and goodness before God. Well, that was an ability we lost in the fall into sin. And the ability to serve God again, to do good again, is restored in Christ. You see, in regeneration, in the Lord's Day 33, we'll really speak to that. In regeneration and conversion through the Spirit, we are being transformed into the image of the Son. We read that also in Romans 6. Jesus Christ has come to this earth to redeem us so that already now in this life we can more and more serve God and live upright and holy lives. Our catechism states that so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for his benefits and he may be praised by us. That is why we must do good works. It's the purpose of redemption and salvation. And that's why Christ wants this. That's why he came. That's why he poured out his spirit so that the peoples of the world could be converted to Christ. So that we might become new people through faith. That we might be renewed or restored or renovated, born again. Consider God's message to Adam and Eve in the garden after the fall into sin where the first gospel, the proto-evangel, is proclaimed. Genesis 3. Consider the entire history of Revelation, fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ into the flesh. His birth, his dying on the cross, his obedience in between, his rising from the grave, his ascension to heaven, and his being seated at the right hand of the Father. All of that was so that God could restore his fallen people unto new life and salvation. So that as members of God's covenant, we are now called to respond in thanksgiving. 
to respond in good works for his deliverance. Think of what we confess in Lord's Day 24 not that long ago. It is impossible that those grafted into Christ by true faith should not bring forth fruits of thankfulness. It's impossible because that's the exact purpose that we are grafted into Christ through faith. It is impossible that believers will not do good works. Impossible that those who have justifying faith are indifferent to the living a good and holy life. It is impossible for this holy faith to be inactive in man. For we do not speak of an empty faith, but of what Scripture calls faith working through love. What do we think? That the gospel is some kind of free pass into heaven and to eternal life, allowing us to just go on sinning, to enjoy sin for a little longer, allowing us to be worldly for a few more years? No way. The gospel is so that God can restore us, forgiving us, sanctifying us, renewing us, and glorifying us. You see, we cannot claim to be members of Christ, but careless in our lifestyle. We cannot claim the promises of the covenant of grace and then just live our lives foolishly and carelessly. With a true faith in Christ Jesus, there must be good works. That is why we are saved through faith, so that we might do good works to the praise of God. Therefore, the Bible teaches faith and works are always together. Good works are the proof of faith. And that brings us to our second point, that although good works are not required for salvation, for justification, they certainly are required as part of our sanctification and glorification, and thus lead us to the fruit of assurance. The Bible says that, that if you see good fruits, well, there you have a good tree. But if the tree is rotten, there you see rotten fruits. It's for this reason that it is understandable that there are times in our lives, maybe that is even the time right now for some of you, that you doubt your faith. Indeed, we might be at a certain point in our life where we aren't seeing the good works that God is desiring and demanding, the good works that God intended for us to live in our new life. And then we might come to the conclusion that we do not have faith. Many a 22-year-old or 24-year-old or somewhere around there has come to that part in their life, that time in their life, where they don't see the fruit, where they don't experience the joy 
of living for Christ and come to the conclusion that they must never have had faith. That's a time like King David had at one point, what he thought, or what the disciple Peter thought after he had denied the Lord Jesus three times, or as the canon Dort puts it, after their lamentable falls, their lamentable sins. It's possible that that time can happen in our lives too, where we are slowly and surely led down the path of temptation and sin. And then when we see and observe the rotten fruits or the bad works, we come to the conclusion that we must be a rotten tree. But brothers and sisters, it is important that we understand that these times can happen to the best of Christians. Elsewhere, we confess that even our best works are all imperfect and defiled with sin, that no one has perfect works, that no one pleases God completely, that no one can stand before God. And so there can be times of doubt creeping into our souls and our minds. But we must not doubt our salvation. We must not be unassured when we see a great abundance of sin. We need not doubt our faith. God teaches us that we can be assured of our faith by its fruits. In Canons of Dort, Article 12, Chapter 1, we confess that we attain this assurance not by inquisitively prying to the hidden and deep things of God, but by observing in ourselves with spiritual joy and holy delight the unfailing fruits of election pointed out in the Word of God such as a true faith in God, a childlike fear of God, a godly sorrow for their sins, and a hungering and thirsting after righteousness. You see, assurance exists according to the measure of faith. The stronger the faith, the stronger and the more consistent the fruits of faith, and the higher the assurance. The greater the dependence on Jesus Christ and thus the greater amount of the Spirit which we receive, the greater our assurance. The Canons of Dort, chapter 5, article 10 says, our assurance grows through the serious and holy pursuit of a good conscience and of good works. In other words, if we are going through a dark time in our life where there is lack of assurance as a result, the key is to turn to Christ. It's to seek the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. It's to seek 
the indwelling of the Spirit. It's to seek to do the will of God more and more. And through that conversion, that daily conversion, through that turning to God and walking more and more and seeking to walk according to the law of God, that we will grow in that insurance as we see the, the works, the good works, and also the joy of those works. Indeed, Scripture teaches us that the very concern for our reprobation, that is, the condemnation of the wicked, is a fruit of faith itself. As our canons put it, we confess a merciful God has promised not to quench the smoking flax, nor to break the bruised reed, and that we worry we do not belong means we do belong. Beloved, we need not doubt when we do not see at a certain time in our life enough fruits of faith. Rather, let us with concern desire and yearn for a time of greater obedience. That comes through God's grace, but as it is in all aspects of life, we must pray and work. Remember, Jesus Christ renews us by the Holy Spirit. Thus, if we are concerned about our faith, we should not wait idly for a time of greater obedience and assurance, but we must use the means of the Spirit. We must use the means of preaching. We must use the means of the Scripture reading and meditation and of the sacraments and of discipline. We must diligently continue to use the means, fervently desiring a time of more abundant grace and to expect it reverently and humbly. Faith and good works grow when we work with the preaching, with the reading of God's word, with the use of the sacraments, with the heeding of admonition, and the seeking of the Lord's help to know his will. Through these means, God works in us. God works good works. Therefore, God works joy. By means of them, we are then assured of our faith. It gives us peace. It gives a peace that when others see it, they desire it too. And that's our third point. We consider the fruit of influence. The last purpose for the fruit of redemption, that is good works, that we consider this afternoon, is that our good works serve as a form of evangelism to draw others to the light of Christ. We go back to Ephesians 2, I quoted earlier. In Ephesians 2, it says there, as I continue on, I read verses 8 and 9 earlier, that good works or, or salvation is not our own doing, it is a gift of God, so no one may boast. Then we read this in verse 10, 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I want to focus for a, just a minute on that word workmanship. We are God's workmanship when we are redeemed. Yes, when we are renewed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit, we are God's product. We are His produce. We are the result of His productivity. God works faith in the hearts of His chosen ones. He leads them to faith. He transforms them in heart and will. And He leads them to walk a life of holiness and obedience. This means that when others see our good works, they're not learning something about us, but they're learning something of God the Father. They are observing what God can do in the heart and the life of a sinful and corrupt an inherently wicked person who deserves condemnation. And when they see that, when they learn that, that this is God's doing, many are led to desire that same relationship with God. It means that along with our works must come the testimony of God. When those who do not know God or do not know him very well observe and then comment on the way we lead our lives, it is incumbent of us to testify of God the Father and of his grace. We must teach them that we are only this way because of God's work in our life. We must not use that opportunity to boast in ourselves and in our goodness, but boast in God. Paul himself was quick to point out his own weaknesses again and again so that he could boast of Christ's strength. Everything must point to Christ. And when those who see our good works and hear our testimony of those works, they will be impressed and it will point them to Christ and to the Father. Now you know what this means. This also means that there is the danger of the opposite effect when we do not live in good works. That is when we would consider, for example, the fruits of the flesh that are being mentioned in our catechism in question and answer 87. Idolatry, adultery, greed, drunkenness, slander. You could add to this list bullying, name calling, tax evasion, poor business practices, Sexual, physical, or mental abuse, drug abuse, etc. 
when these works are found in us, beloved, we are no longer reflecting the Christ. We are no longer putting on the image of Christ. We are no longer showing ourselves to be slaves of God. And yet, how many times do those who do not know God see those works in us? Those people who know we are members of the church, who know that we call ourselves Christians, what should those people then think? Will those people give glory to God because they wonder what that God is all about? If this is the kind of Christians he makes? Just like the works of the Spirit, good works bring glory to God, so the works of the flesh will drive people away from God and from religion. If we as members of the church, as Christians, live in sin and involve ourselves in sinful and idolatrous practices, it will turn many away from the truth or even prevent them from seeing it. How important then are our good works? How influential they are according to the purpose of God. How important that we are eager to strive to live according to the will of God in all good works. How important to eagerly seek the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Let us desire that others see us and give glory to God. Let us want that many will join and remain in the church by true faith and so together with us become heirs unto eternal life where sanctification and the beginnings of glorification are most evident in our midst. So three things, three fruits we have seen this afternoon. And that brings us to our conclusion, how we confess that Jesus Christ has redeemed us from all our sins out of mere grace alone. His resurrection is the victory over sin and death so that sin no longer has control over us. We are rather freed in Jesus Christ. And that makes us free to do good works. Able to do good works. Works that glorify God and as such are the beginning of eternal life. Therefore, fruits of thankfulness. Also, the fruit of assurance and the fruit of influence. May God graciously fill us with his Holy Spirit, working faith, renewing us unto new lives of holiness and such fruits. Amen. Let us now sing our response to God 
from Psalm 116. Psalm 116 has the same structure as our catechism. It begins with addressing sin and being caught in snares and then moves to the deliverance of God and then ends with our thankfulness and our joy and our desire to serve the Lord. And as we are concluding our worship this afternoon, we'll begin with singing uh, stanzas 1, 5, and 7, which address the first two aspects, the confession of sin and being caught in sin and, and, and then the confession of deliverance. And we'll conclude our worship this afternoon later with the singing about our thankfulness. So Psalm 116, 1, 5, and 7. <laughs> 